Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Basis Points Podcast. I'm Kevin Flanagan, Head of Fixed Income Strategy at Wisdom Tree Asset Management. And I have a special guest, a longtime colleague of mine who we haven't actually caught up in a while. And we thought, what a great time to catch up with what's going on in the bond market. And he's George Goncalves, Head of U.S. Macro Strategy at MUFG Securities. And we're going to talk about, is this a defining moment in the bond market? But please note, I'm a registered representative of Foresight Fund Services, LLC. And the discussion is not tied to the offer or investment products unless expressly stated otherwise. The opinions, interpretations, or findings expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views of any Wisdom Tree or Foresight affiliates. So, George, it's great to have you on. Haven't spoken to you in a while. And for those of you listening out there, I want you to know that during the financial crisis, George was instrumental in in helping and providing me guidance as, as we spoke to clients. And George, that was something I always remembered. So it's great having you on and talking to you again. It's great to be back on. It's a great place to reconnect with you as well, Kevin. So let's let's get into it here. Um, you know, I, I was reading a, a recent post of yours and I thought it was actually quite telling of what we could be seeing in, in the market that I'm hearing questions being asked, are rates done moving up? Will we start to see flows from anywhere? Could we see, say, Japan getting back into the mix? And and I know you wrote about the Treasury international capital data. And I was wondering if you could get, give us some insights on that. What are your thoughts? Do you think Japanese investors could come in and, and rescue the bond market here? You know, we, I think the bond market is looking for a hero somewhere. and. And it's true that you know over over the years and the decades, really, Japan has been an instrumental buyer of U.S. fixed income. I just you know, you know kind of looking through the data and, and looking at the trends and and how that kind of matches up with where rate levels are, as well as other important factors like FX hedging costs. It's not clear that you know, Japan really is going to be the first mover here. I think that you know in, in fact the, the Japanese investor type typically likes to see. Some sort of trend forming, and, and so far the trend, the trend has been higher rates, and that, and that would mean that you know there'll be even further losses down the road if rates were to continue to go higher. So I think at, at this juncture, probably a little bit soon, but typically what happens, you know, the Japanese have a fiscal year end that ends in March 31st, and so now they're in their first month of the new year uh, with April now uh, in play. But I do think that. Um, is given that we've seen the bond markets as volatile as they've been, that you know, the Japanese probably ha have not been as active as they used to, and it probably will take some stability in the, the U.S. rates markets for them to, to kind of come back in. And in addition, there's other more viable parts of the fixed income market, uh, and globally too, because now global rates are also rising, not just U.S. rates, and so European rates as well as you know, mortgages at some point, maybe after the Fed starts its QT. But you know, you know, this, the first port of call used to be Treasuries. It might be the last one at this time. You know, that's I, that brings up an interesting point you mentioned about global rates moving up here. Do you think that perhaps that actually acts as a headwind this time? In other words, you know, we always heard about global investors moving into buying U.S. denominated fixed income because of the rate differentials. Do you think that still holds, or do you think that could become a headwind as well? Well, I think it has been um, part of the issue that we've been seeing really since the start of the year, um, that all rates rising has led to uh, a, a local bias. And so global investors really don't need to 
search for yield in, in overseas markets where the U.S. was the biggest benefactor, uh, I think that that definitely has been uh, taking away some of the support in our you know, U.S. markets. Now, we are the biggest and the deepest markets, and there's, you know, where capital usually goes to in times of crisis, but also in, you know, in places to park their cash before other investments. So I, I do think that U.S. 16 kind of at some point will start to become more attractive for foreign investors. Uh, but, you know, right now it's, it's probably too soon to say. So here we are. We're we're roughly what a couple of weeks from the next Fed meeting. Um, it appears that we're we're talking what nifty fifty. I think most people are looking for fifty basis points at this meeting. Um, you in line with that thinking? You in line with Fed funds futures looking for two hundred more in rate hikes this year? I think for the the near term, like I think that it's hard to go against what's priced in. And I think the Fed, what we've seen, you, you and I know from over the course of our, our careers, that if the market prices in something, especially for the immediate meetings, the Fed typically delivers it. So it's hard for them not to deliver the 50. That's something we're to materially change in the next couple of weeks. So I do agree with the 50. Uh, that's, you know, in my base case as well, the 50 bips makes sense. Uh, but it's also the meeting where they're likely to introduce the quantitative tightening uh, at the most recent uh, Fed meeting in March when they first raised rates by 25. And there was also you know, a lot of contention about maybe that was going to be a 50 as well. But they did raise rates 25, but they also discussed the balance sheet, which we you know, learned more about in the minutes, which were released a couple of weeks ago. And it looks like they're probably going to uh, release the full details of how they're going to shrink their balance sheet, um, which you know, colloquially we call it quantitative tightening because it's basically <laughs> the opposite of quantitative easing, which was the expansion of the balance sheet. So if they're going to start shrinking their balance sheet, they're going to have to give us some marching orders, and that probably will be also um, delivered at the same meeting where they're you know, hiking 50 bips. And for me, that's a lot to stomach. I mean, I think it's doable. Uh, I, I've been calling it double tightening. And so, you know, that's going to be a lot for the markets to handle. We've discounted a lot of this already because the markets are forward-looking. But if you think about it, I mean, like 50 basis points, quantitative tightening, you know, the, like uh, the, the kind of rule of thumb out there by a lot of investors and, and researchers is that, you know, roughly 300 basis points – I'm sorry, 300 billion is like worth like 25 basis points of like Fed tightening. So that's, you know, there's less liquidity going into the system, or in, in this case, not only are they tapered, but they're also now shrinking the balance sheet when once they commence that sometime uh, in, in Q2, that, you know, they're going to be taking away liquidity, which is going to feel like the Fed is hiking. And so that coupled with like, these big 50 basis points, you know, is, is why I feel it's going to be very difficult for them to, to deliver 200 plus you know, basis points beyond so I think, you know, like a couple more major big hikes, you know, this front loading of hikes in the first half of the year, it could go into July, maybe even September. But much more than that, I don't think it's going to be uh, likely, largely because, you know, the, I think the economy is already decelerating. All of this, you know, rate tightening as well as quantitative tightening on the liquidity side will start to really, you know, uh, hammer home financial conditions. And I think that we'll probably see, uh, you know, some bouts of weakness in, in broader markets, not just in fixed income. And that's what's going to probably eventually uh, both, you know, slow down the economy because we're so leveraged to wealth effect and financial conditions, but also then put the Fed on, on a wait-and-see mode later on in the year. Oh, I mean, that that's an interesting observation in terms of the financial conditions, but also real rates. What we've seen sort of post Brainerd's comments uh, from, what is it, almost two weeks now, of what's happened in the tips market. So, I mean, do you think that QT, 
that's the impact that we're seeing that this is real rate driven the increase we're seeing more or less at the back end of the curve now yeah that's a great point i think that qt will operate through real rates and so the market again is forward looking and starting to price that in we've had one of the sharpest you know um, snapbacks higher in real rates but even then <laughs> we're still not uh, close to zero or getting close to zero on the 10-year uh, tips you know we, we still have negative real rates uh, in the front end uh, and so like there's uh, I mean, a lot a lot of wood to chop if you look at it from that vantage point that you know, real rates would have to tighten even further you know you could very well enter into a situation where the real rates will continue to to rise and head higher and that will then uh, you know give you know, a signal to the markets that you know, the feds getting their arms around inflation and inflation expectations should then start to come down which could then allow for more leveling out of rates and stabilizing uh, at these higher levels. But, you know, holding all else equal, if real rates keep going up and if inflation concerns remain, you know, we, we might be seeing um, the final, con- you know, which, you know, kind of uh, in your opening remarks and something that we talked about in, in, the, in, the, in the run-up to this discussion, this is truly a defining moment for the bond market. You know, although rates are very low, we've, you know, we've, we've seen massive dollar losses in in, in, in in portfolios in in the course of the last you know three and a half months at the start of this year, it's been one of the worst uh, times in the bond market. And so, if it were to go even further, this would probably be the worst year on record. And that's true for not just uh, Treasuries but other uh, fixed income products. And so, I, I do think at some point, you know, we need to see stability in rates, and that could come if there's a view that real rates will take over and inflation expectations will come under control because the Fed has done enough both with front-loading the tightening and you'll see a, a commensurate financial conditions tightening through the QT and that will then prevent them from completely, you know, just upending the bond market. I mean, when we talk about real rates, I, I was looking during the last rate hike cycle, 2018, thereabouts. I mean, 10-year tip yields, they, I mean, they, they were trading over positive 1%. So that's still 100 basis points away from where we are now. I mean, do you think there's any chance we actually see that kind of move up? And if in fact you do, I mean, could we see a 10-year Treasury yield be three and a half, four 4% when all is said and done? I mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, I have it as one of my more remote scenarios, but it's definitely in the and the possible outcomes that we get this year, because it would have to happen soon and quick in order for this to matter. Um, and I think at some point, eventually, the economy does decelerate and the Fed won't have to tighten as much. So it, it really is a question of timing um, and how quickly we can get real rates higher. I think another 50 basis points and we start to get into positive territory. I think that will eventually start to impact uh, equities as well as credit more directly. Uh, and I think then that would then probably uh, stop the real rate move, uh, maybe not necessarily unwind it completely, but at least you know prevent it from forcing a move really significantly higher than you know, on, on a nominal size if you add the two together with inflation in, in, and, and real rates. If inflation expectations come down a little bit and we get positive real rates, it's possible that we can get to a 325, 350 on a 10-year. Much more than that, I have a hard time. We are already, as you know, this is again, this is why this is a defining moment. We already broke the, um, the 25, 30 year bond bull channel, which you know, started uh, in, you know, really uh, in the early 90s, late 80s. Uh, you know, if you go back further than that, you can debate like, was the 80s um, really the start of the bull run? And there's a lot of volatility in, in the bond market. 
but in general, this multi-decade lower channel uh, move uh, with, with us for over 30 years um, it, it had a two standard deviation move up to about 225, 240 on the 10-year rate uh, nominal side. And then, you know, right now we're, we're, we're trying to make a run towards the three standard deviation move of a, again, a really long secular trend. You know, three standard deviation moves are hard to break in our markets. I mean, especially something as big as the treasury market, it's not impossible. Um, and then on top of that, we have 325, which was the local high back at the last hiking cycle, which again, the Fed basically got rates up there at the end of the cycle, not at the beginning, and QT was already well on its way, you know, QT, QT1. So I think, you know, 325, 350 is gonna be really hard to crack into, uh, it's not impossible, uh, but I think at that point, I think, you know, investors will probably really start to, to think that there's a, a lot of value uh, at play at that point, but you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So one more from me, you mentioned financial conditions, you know, a, a lot of, market participants and stories you read out there saying, you know, the Fed's going to be watching the inflation reports coming in very carefully. They're going to be data dependent. Do you think their data dependency is going to be more on those kind of standard econ reports or what you talked about, financial conditions? Could financial conditions be sort of the lever that gets the Fed to at some point consider, okay, maybe we've raised rates too much here and we should stop. Do you think that will be the end game, financial conditions? I think ultimately it will be proven to be the end game, but while we're going through it, we won't know the counterfactual. And so basically they're gonna you know, stick to the to the fundamentals of economic data and, like, and, and, and see if there's evidence of inflation peaking and rolling over and if there's a, you know, changes in consumer you know, consumption patterns as the wealth effect starts to kind of go in reverse. You know, a lot of, again, this is all kind of predicated on we're going to see a more significant tightening of financial conditions, which is going to really kind of you know, curtail the U.S. economy. If that doesn't happen, then they're going to have to hike even further. And I'm wrong. And, you know, and at that point, it, it, it won't really matter because then we'll end up with an even tighter financial conditions. It's almost like it depends on how fast you know, the chicken or egg kind of thing happens where you get um, – even higher rates, and then eventually they have to start to uh, sink into financial conditions and tighten them even further. So either markets are preemptive and they do the financial conditions tightening and then the Fed will take notice, or the market doesn't actually uh, take heed to that and eventually, and the Fed will have to then go further than I'm expecting in terms of hikes and, and really then start to force a hard landing, which would then most likely guarantee a market correction. Well, nothing's guaranteed, but yeah, increase the, the likelihood. Thanks, George. I think I think that's where we're going to end it for for this podcast. Um, George Kinkavas, head of U.S. Macro Strategy, MUFG Securities. It was great having you on, and hopefully we can have you on um, in the not too distant future and, and continue to give us your insights on what's going on in the bond market and if in fact this is a turning point for the bond market going forward. So thanks again, George. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on and appreciate everything. So be well, everybody. And before investing, carefully consider a fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus available at wisdomtree.com. Read it carefully.